What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast show. I'm here in our New York office today, and we are hosting a summit on organizational communications. And as such, I am lucky enough to have Sean Goodman, who is the head of uh, global communications at um, Takeda Pharmaceuticals, specifically for Takeda Oncology. I want to make sure I'm clear on that, and we'll get into why that's important in a minute. Um, Sean's a Boston guy uh, by way of uh, San Francisco or the Bay Area, so we have a lot in common. But uh, welcome, Sean, first of all. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for being willing to do this uh, on somewhat short notice. But I'd love to dive right in. One of the things I like to ask guests is, you know, a little bit of a where did you come from? What are you doing? And, you know, then we can ask some other uh, more philosophical questions. But you've been at uh, at, um, Takeda for 20 years. Uh, I learned today through some of your storytelling that, um, you know, part of that was through an acquisition. But you didn't start in pharma. Um, how did you make that sort of transition? Because I know a lot of people, you know, either they choose healthcare or they don't. And you made that fairly distinct break from early career, moving over to the pharma world and, and clearly have uh, enjoyed it and have stuck around for a while. So <clears throat> what feels like a former life at this point, my uh, my training was in special effects animation and um, communications for uh, more from a visual standpoint, like branding and whatnot. Um, I was working at Disney for uh, years, <clears throat> and uh, we were opening up virtual reality centers around the world. And then um, I was based out of San Francisco at that point, and uh, the dot-com crash happened. So all the virtual reality stuff kind of went by the wayside. And uh, I found myself looking at tech, uh, away from tech, and looking at biotech. I joined a biotech from that point to help them with corporate branding, uh, launching a product in cardiovascular therapies. And then um, that organization was acquired by Millennium, which was later acquired by Takeda. That all turns into 20 years, and here I am. It's great. And by the way, Elise Margolis just walked by, which is uh, germane to both of us, and she kind of did a double take as she walked by. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's kept you at the company. I mean, I was at Fidelity Investments for nine years, and that felt like an eternity, although I loved the time that I was there. And you've had a few different iterations because of the acquisition and sort of one of the things we'll talk about in a minute, the rebranding. But um, what's kept you waking up every day going in saying, man, I want to keep doing this, you know, especially given the fact that it seems like 10 years at at companies has gotten shorter and shorter. So give us a little bit of background there. I would say that uh, what's kept me at the company is the leadership. Uh, we've, We've seen leadership change in the organization over the last couple decades, but that's one thing that Takeda and Millennium have always done right is had solid, genuine, authentic leaders running the organization who are as passionate about making a difference in the pharma space for patients as the people who work there. And I think it's because they align so well with employees that people rally behind them and follow them wherever they want to lead the organization. That's why I've stayed there. Well, and that's a good explanation. And I think, you know, we were talking a little bit at dinner last night with some of the other folks participating and just the importance of leadership. And it's kind of like one of those no duh kind of things. But I think we do sometimes forget how important it is, just like we forget how important communicating with our employees are, right? So you just touched on that. For those that aren't as familiar with Takeda, um, tell us a little bit more about this. And I learned a fun fact today. I knew you guys had been around for a long time, but the parent company, which is Japanese based, was founded in, get this, 1781. 
1781. That's a few years after the United States became an entity. Um, tell us a little bit about this amazing company. So the company started with uh, marketing Japanese herbs as therapies. Um, uh, Kunio Takeda, it's a family-owned company uh, that was started as, uh, started the company completely based on delivering products that were authentic, uh, I say authentic, but uh, there was so much integrity that went into these these herbs, right? He wanted to be known as the best merchant of the of you know therapies and herbs of the time, and he started his what later became became known as Takedaism philosophy of being the best and the most people patient centric organization back in that day, and that has carried through to today. And we actually talk about that quite a bit with uh, Takeda today, being a global organization, completely patient-focused, keeping Takedaism, which is based on integrity, at the focus of anything that we do as an organization, which is part of that value system I was talking about with the leadership, that people really look for in organizations today. You know, they want to make sure that they're aligned with their values and that there's a great um, a focus on what they what they want the focus to be on when they join an organization. So I think it's uh, over that period of time, it's obviously grown beyond Japan. Uh, we had acquired Nikomed about eight years ago, which cemented our global footprint. We went from being in six countries into 78, almost overnight. And then now we're here. That's a whole new challenge, especially leading into our next question is the global uh, head of, or the head of global oncology, corporate communications, um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what does a day in life look like for you? And I think for those listening in that do, you know, we had some questions earlier today in the organizational summit about global and, you know, how do you sort of overcome some of the challenges and take advantage of some of the, the benefits of being in 78 different countries? Well, the good thing about that is uh, I'm is being in the oncology business unit, and I'm primarily responsible for seven countries that are the, the leading countries around the globe. Uh, there'd be three in, in Europe. Brazil, um, Japan, Singapore, and um, United States. But I could never do what I do without having feet on the ground. I've got a solid team of communicators on the ground, patient advocacy people. They enable me to have that reach. You can, you obviously can't be in too many places at one time. But um, they, what we do is set up kind of a model system and roll out communications for the globe, and everyone has to localize, depending on their local regulatory requirements or what makes sense for their region. So it's, it's a model that works to be a global organization, but with the same vision in mind. Well, that's helpful. And it is helpful when you can prioritize a few different uh, countries. Obviously, you have to make sure you're taking care of all of them, but certainly those uh, those priorities are, are the priorities. Let's talk a little bit about um, the rebranding journey. I think this is something that you all have been focused on for a few years now. I think you started... Uh, mentioned you've done this for you know several years but really in 2014 i think there was a specific effort that you've been carrying through right now what has that looked like and what has been the the focus of that and and talk about some of the the wins or maybe the outcomes that have come as a result the great thing about that is <clears throat> we had rebranded a few years prior as millennium the ticket oncology company and built a really solid brand around our vision that we aspire to cure cancer um that whole process starts with trying to figure out what we represent, what we stand for, and then you pressure test that internally and externally and see if it's believable and authentic for what we want to do as an organization. So in 2014, um, we made the decision to become just Takeda Oncology and become more global outside of the United States um, uh, as an oncology organization. And so we, we were in a great place. 
right? And it was essentially just a, a change of an identity, a visual logo. Same people, same passion, same commitment, and um, the same focus on patients. And it was just really a re-education um, about reaffirming that this is now going to be a global passion, a global commitment, and one global team that was built so well as Millennium, the Tiet Oncology Company. So we were in a good place. So I'm fortunate that the rebranding effort was much easier in 14 than it had been prior. Well, that's good. And I'm going to ask you a follow-on question that we did talk about in there. We haven't necessarily talked about it as part of the questions, but with the employee advocacy, right, with the tapping into employees to help tell your story and to really get that message out there, you happen to be a company where pharma sometimes get a bad gets a bad rap, but you're helping to solve this oncology problem, right? This cancer that everyone's affected by, everyone really hates the disease. And we'll get to that in a second. But can we talk a little bit about how employees have played a role and sort of how you tap into them and you know what that looks like? Sure. So <clears throat> there's one thing that we, we have to keep in mind when you're rebranding an organization or at least communicating the direction of the organization if there's a shift. And when we decided that our vision would be that we aspire to cure cancer, that's really grand and it's a bold vision. It's not going to be easy. That's what we work for every day. But we also didn't want to just put that out there and as if it had come down from leadership. We had each of the employees create videos of themselves from legal to the receptionist to somebody in the labs talking about how that whatever they do each day adds to us getting closer to that end goal of aspiring to cure cancer. So they had a direct connection with where the organization was going as a pharmaceutical company. And they felt more connected to, again, to the leadership and the direction that the leader was taking the organization. And they feel it every day. You can feel it in the walls. You really can. Well, that's great. And, and certainly it is nice when you can work in an industry where you are doing good, right? Literally, you're doing good. Um, we were in there with some other industries that do get beat up and um, they may feel like they're doing good, but it's a little bit less of a direct line. So speaking of the curing cancer, let's talk a little bit about one, you know, what does the future of oncology look like? Let's look near in the next three to five years. And then this is a heady question. People like Joe Biden are trying to tackle this, but you know, will we solve will we cure cancer in our lifetime? You know, I think you and I are, you're probably a little younger than I am, but let's give us 50 years. Uh, so looking three to five years out and then 50 years out. So it's, tr it's tricky when you're talking about cures, right? Um, especially with cancer. Cancer is really smart. It learns the drug. Uh, people can be on, in what we call uh, in complete remission for years, right? If they're, if they're in complete remission for more than five years, they're technically, you know, off the books considered cured of the, of the disease. But at some point down the road, it could, you know, come back. Um, everybody has cancer in their body. They're just, it's, just on, it's not active. <clears throat> and so um, when you're on therapies for a while, um, some people respond better than others, but the future from, a, from an industry standpoint, which I find really exciting, is pharmaceutical companies are getting past bringing forth a cure on their own, and we're partnering with all of the other pharma companies to you know, com combine products together because we found that that has a better effect with patients. They respond better. The earlier they can get treatments in combination with like several drugs at a time has made the hugest difference in some of these these cure rates, as we'll call them, but it's really complete remission. So <clears throat> the next five years, I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of cancers being easily managed, almost like they're a cold. Uh, 50 years from now, I think that we will definitely be in a place where cancers that we're dealing with today will be a non-issue in the future. You know, you, on occasion you hear people say that, oh, that's the good cancer. It's because we've gotten to a place with it that it's easily managed, side effects aren't that horrible, and you can actually live a very great life 
you know, go with a therapy. So theoretically, it never goes away, but you get to a place where it isn't life threatening and it's not scary and it's easy to take care of. Correct. Well, I look forward to that day and hopefully we get there sooner rather than later. So this is where I do like to shift gears a little bit and talk more about you personally and sort of, you know, this is where we get to find out who's influencing the influencer. How do you think all those good things? So over the course of your life, uh, I'm sure there have been people, some people like to cite famous authors or their parents or a boss or a colleague, but anybody that comes to mind that, you know, has, has left a delible impression on you over the course, indelible impression over the course of your lifetime. Um, I would have to say my, my former boss, um, who's still in the industry, her name is Lisa Adler, has been a, a great mentor for me and a great uh, model of what a leader should be like in the industry. And even with uh, even with how she is with her family and her work-life balance and what she prioritizes and how she juggles, right? Uh, I look to her for guidance on occasion, and she's always there. And um, she's been a huge support for me in, the, in in this space. So I would credit her with that. Well, we'll make sure Lisa gets the message when we put this out, because I'm sure nobody uh, minds knowing that they've been influential to someone, even when they know that maybe they have. Um, as part and parcel of that, I do also like to ask about books. You know, some people don't read business books. Some people do. Sometimes it's historical. Sometimes it's fiction. But anything that you've read over the last year or two that really spoke to you that, you know, you'd like to share, or maybe it's a podcast or a series or anything like that. I'm, I'm um, just starting to read a book about living with non-small cell lung cancer. It's a new space for me. Uh, we just uh, acquired another company uh, that was formerly known as Ariad, and we've brought them into Takeda Oncology. And they have uh, there's a product that's you know potentially going to address that that cancer in the future. So um, I want to become as familiar with it as I can. We really try to pride ourselves on doing disease state education for patients and um, just in the industry so people have a better understanding of how they can approach these cancers and this one's new for me um, more fun I've just started rereading some of the David Sedaris books they are hysterical and it keeps me entertained in the plane well good choices and uh, one nice to you know from a industry relevant and one more from a, a fun perspective um, I am going to ask you one other fun question since we do have a little bit of extra time before we get to our final question about uh, the album on the deserted island. Uh, you've had the opportunity. You come from California, or at least you went to college there. Uh, you lived there for a while, and now you live in Boston. So I've done the opposite of you. I lived in Boston for most of my life and moved out there. You know, sports allegiances, and, and I'm asking a little bit because I know Takeda was one of the major sponsors last year of the Boston Celtics, which I always loved hearing your name while I was listening to the Celtics broadcast, but um, you know, want to tip your hand and tell us about, you know, are you a Warriors fan or maybe other and or have you come to to love the Celtics as, you know, your adoptive hometown? I think you've been there for 20 plus years now and certainly someone that Takeda has been close with. I think it's illegal not to be a Boston fan of the teams there when you live there. So, um, you know, by that fact, I am a huge Boston fan from, you know, the Patriots to the Celtics. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have the best of the years in Montana for the 49ers. And now I've got Tom Brady. So I've got both both coasts, two great quarterbacks. So I'm just living I'm living the life as far as the sporting teams go. So that's how I'd answer that. Well, that's pretty well done, and that's a good answer, and I agree with you that it's uh, somewhat illegal. It is funny, just as an aside, that I lived in Austin, Texas for six years and then moved out to California, and people ask me, oh, so you know, do you like the Cowboys now or the, you know, do you like 
the Giants or whatever. And I do actually have an appreciation. Never liked the Cowboys. Sorry, anybody that's, you know, from uh, Texas. Uh, I do have a soft spot in my heart for the Warriors. I actually even have a soft spot for the Oakland Raiders since I live in the East Bay even though they've been competition. But um, I will say right now it's it's hard not to like if you're living in Boston some of the Boston sports teams just because Celtics in particular. Their record. It's yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah right. they're, they're fun and exciting. Yeah. And wherever we put this broadcast out, you know, 13-2 and two right now, they've won 13 in a row. So I don't know if they're going to beat the Warriors streak of, what was it, 33 games in a row that they did a few years I'm, ago. I'm but confident. Yeah. yeah. I would love to see it, you know. And they're actually playing the Warriors this week. So, um that gets us to our last question, which is the just for fun. And uh, I love to find out how people answer this. It's, it's less about the actual answer and how they think about it. But assume you're stranded on a deserted island. You can listen to one album, ideally not a greatest hits, although I'll let you cheat since I didn't give you a lot of time to think about it. Which album would that be and why? So it, it, it's almost it could almost has to be a greatest hits if it's one album. But it, you, it might surprise you. It would have to be something from Frank Sinatra. I feel like he's got a song for any mood that you're in. And so I'm a huge fan. It would have to be something from Sinatra. So in a perfect world, we'll cheat a little bit. And maybe it's like one of those, um, what, what's the, when you have the multi-set album, right? Because he's put out so much great music. And I would agree with you. He's just so classic and has had so many great songs. So uh, not a bad choice, especially, you know, for cheating a little bit. So anyway, this is Aaron Strout. I'm the CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast show, I've had the good pleasure today of sitting down with Sean Goodman, uh, who, as we said, is the head of global oncology at Takeda Pharmaceuticals. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, being willing to go a little bit off script today, Sean. No worries. Thanks for having me again. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.